0: To doubt God. Oh, is it okay to doubt God? I love this question. Okay. Can I be dangerous? Yes. No. Hang on. Because I want to take your question a little further. So I want to say, no, no. Don't doubt God. Question him. There's a difference between. Doubting God and questioning God. Now, is it okay to doubt God? Well, of course it is because we all have it. But I'm just trying to change the question. You see what I'm doing? I'm trying to change the question. So, there's a difference between doubting God and questioning God. You know what that difference is? A question is looking for an answer. Why, God? God, why? Versus, God, you can't and God making statements and declarations. God, you must be bad because, so there's a difference between doubting him and listen, our doubt cripples God. Your doubt cripples God, okay? And man, it's difficult for some of you to even hear. Traditionally, you're thinking, no, he can do anything, but our doubt cripples him, okay? Our questions do not. Do you remember God's relationship with Job? It, Job was struggling, man, like big time. But remember what Job was going through was questioning God, okay? And so what I wanna, what I off this question, what I wanna stress to you is that you learn to bring questions to God and not doubt him. So think of something that you're going through right now as a teenager here in America, in your culture. Something injustice, it's not fair. Chaos in your life, sickness in your life, right? It's that thing, God, how could you let, if you're so good, right? Anybody ever asked that question before or felt that way? God, if you're so good, then why are starving children in in the world? God, if you're so good, why did my grandmother pass away? God, if you're so good, how come I'm bullied, right? All that stuff. Instead of taking that to doubt, bring questions to him, because if you bring questions to him, you will allow him to speak to you and answer you. Does that help? Dude, you guys are bringing it, I love this. Go ahead. Um, What are you supposed to do if the father figure in your home is blinded to the rest of his kids, including you, by his new wife? Hmm. Back to a family question. What are you supposed to do as a teenager when the father figure in your life, whether what, I'm going to expand that to whether it's biological or you know um, married into the home or living in the home, <laughs> um, if the, what do you do as a teenager if that biological fi- father figure is not recognizing you, um, sees the relationship with the wife in the home, right, the, but not you? D- um, t- is, is that does that uh, state kind of what you're asking um, You, you want to go a little further with it Kind of like um, The wife is not all that she seems to be But okay. the father figure doesn't really see that He just sees that she is good And that yeah. she is all this and all that So the relationship is broke The relationship is broke But like yep. the kids are the only ones that sees it And the father figure Got is it so Yep, and so the danger here is that this father is not uh, being a father in the home to the children, but closer to the, the wife or, yeah. Um, you know, I think it, go, it, does, it definitely goes back to the, what we said with this earlier question on your health and, and praying, because your health gives you the right attitude in the situation, and praying allows the supernatural to change the situation. Here's what I would do, especially if you're a teenager in this setting and you're struggling with the father figure, because really I think the question is more about the father figure relationship, you know, with the kids. Find uncles, grandfathers, men in the church, a coach, listen, a coach at school that's a Christian, or or, or not, it doesn't always have to be a Christian, that could be a great father figure, right? A teacher. So obviously this, you know i don't know if this is a real personal question there are people in your life sweetheart that you can go to that if this father figure is not bringing it in the home others can bring it outside of the home in, in a healthy way too okay so look for um think of those first two things your own personal health praying for and interceding for uh, god to do something go by the bedroom door and put your hand on the bedroom door and pray for them right um, pray for the car. Uh, pray for the, the food in the kitchen, you know, whatever. As they consume it, they'll be humbled or, you know. Um, then find other father figures either in the family that understand the situation and can kind of step in or people outside of the home who can become that strong, consistent father figure in your life. Yeah. Wow, that's a great question. Yes. Next question. Nice and loud. Do you personally, what is your opinion on Christian women getting abortion? The opinion on women getting abortion. Christian women. Uh, On Christian women getting abortion. Okay. Uh, uh, So I believe in the sanctity of life and I do not believe that abortion should ever take place and, and, and you wow what an issue but i can do it in a minute um i believe that every um single human from conception deserves to live whether the conditions of the mother or the family are are um are at question um that child deserves to live either with that mother that that could be rescued from a difficult situation, or through adoption, okay? We, We could change the welfare system in America if we would adhere to the sanctity of life. So no, I do not believe it's ever right to do an abortion. There are so many answers, so many answers to believing in the sanctity of life, yeah. Can you define faith? Can I define faith? Yeah, Oh man, thank you. From a teenager, can I define faith? Yes. Um, faith is the substance. Uh, substance, okay? It is uh, something that is tangible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So it's the future. It is believing in a tangible future, and it is the evidence, okay, okay? It is tangible. Faith is substance, and it is evidence, all right? So what I mean by that is, and this is Paul's definition of, of faith. What I mean by that is this, that faith is not just a feeling. It is not just an idea. It is not ethereal, in other words you can't see it uh, when your phone rings you look at who's calling and you talk to them now you can't see them on the other end you can't see them but you talk to them anyway that in one sense is faith When how many of you drive those of you that drive okay um, When you're driving down the road, on a two-lane road, there is a white line. Sometimes it's dotted. Sometimes it's solid. Don't cross right. And let's say you're going 60 miles an hour on this two-lane road. Just, you know, good speed, safe, lawful speed. Coming toward you, yeah, two-lane highway. Coming toward you is another car. That is faith. That you trust the other person is not going to veer in front of you, change the law, and decide to go the other way. And as you go flying by each other, that is faith and trust. So next time you get in a car and you stop at a red light and you go on a green light, that is faith. That the people around you are also going to obey the law. Because if they don't, chaos ensues, and you could take your, your life could be taken, right? So I'm not asking you to get in a car and start being fearful of everybody else in the car. What I'm asking you is, if we have that kind of faith to answer the phone when we don't see somebody, and to drive on the roads and trust other people, then we can have that same kind of faith in a God we may not see physically, but, We see him through faith, which, hear me, faith is more tangible and evidential than you think. Because as Billy Graham said, you can see the effects of the wind, trees blowing, dust blowing, right? Flag blowing, but you cannot see the wind. And so I believe that faith is evidential proof of a God that we cannot see. Okay? Yeah. Next question. So I get this asked this a lot by both Christians and not Christians. Yeah. And my question is, how do you stop feeling alone in front of friends? Oh, man. Wow, so many of us in this room are feeling this question. How do you stop feeling alone in a crowd or around friends. So let me just kind of, let me take a little liberty with that question by saying this. I think if you're around friends, it's going to be very difficult to be, to feel alone. I don't mean just friends. I mean friends, not frenemies, friends. <laughs> you know, like if you have the right circle around you, then I, um, and if you choose the right friends, I think that's going to be a um, I think that would be easier to deal with that, you know, that loneliness. But if you don't have really good, solid friends, then that's where you can feel alone in a crowd, as, as they say, you know. Um, so uh, let me give you some words that I think will help someone that is feeling alone in a crowd. Number one, authenticity. You need authentic relationships. People that you can say anything to. You need people in your life that will not judge you for feeling a certain way. So authentic relationships. You need unconditional relationships in friends. Like if you're in this room and you have a friend who loves you unconditionally, you know how valuable that relationship is. Right? I mean, think about it this way: the the world of teen culture. Is very conditional athletes in the room you have a conditional relationship with your team and if you don't produce you're not playing and you'll be on the bench conditional um, students in the room you have a conditional relationship with your teachers <laughs> right if you don't perform you get a D or a C for those of you that have really high standards you get a B and you're bummed and you go home you're like oh, a B a I would have died for a B you know what I'm saying yeah, I <laughs> so everything that we do in team culture is built on condition unfortunately the world is built on condition so what when you can have a friend that is authentic and unconditional a friend group then I believe that it's easier to deal with that loneliness because there'll be authentic you know, relationships that will accept you no matter what's going on. Oftentimes, hear me, at-risk behaviors, okay? Those of you that are in an at-risk behavior, cutting, okay, suicide attempts, uh, calling out for attention, um, behavior, listen, behavior that is abnormal, Okay, at, at risk relationship, an at risk life, all of the uh, addictions. Okay, whatever that is. Um, those of you that are in those kind of relationships, if you had authentic, or that you have that kind of a lifestyle, if you if you have authentic relationships and unconditional relationships, then you will be able to deal with anything that you are going through, because to be loved unconditionally is life transforming. Because you can be who you are, and you don't have to act like or be somebody else. So I think that loneliness is created when we don't have, like, when you say among friends, man. I know what you're asking. Maybe crowd, you know, or community. But when you have authentic, unconditional friends, I think that will deal with the, with the loneliness. Yeah. And and let me say this too, because I've I've, I've dealt with this many times personally because now I'm alone doing life and my kids are out and I live alone and I travel alone, right? Sometimes, listen, like seriously, loneliness is good for you. It's okay. Because now you are confronted with you. You're confronted with yourself. You're confronted with the reality that, uh, who am I? Who am I without anybody else? Because, listen, the crowd doesn't define you. You define yourself in your relationship with your Creator God. So sometimes I think we undervalue loneliness. It's okay to be lonely. Yeah. Great question. Okay, let's do two more. Let's do two more because we gotta keep moving. I know, man, there's like seven or eight in line, sorry. And what we'll do when we drop this down, maybe we can um, spend some time in here, but the band's gonna come in just a little bit. I'm gonna worship a little more too. So two more questions, yes. Uh, I have a friend who is a heavy Christian, she goes to church, Yep. and she just changed her gender identity, and okay. she is, says that she's pansexual, is yep. she still safe? Yes, wow, okay, let's go there. Uh, she has a friend who is pansexual, who has changed her uh, her identity, okay, and swings from male to female, back and forth in her relationship, to herself, okay? Um, That's the pansexual setting. And yet she attends church and confesses to be a Christian. Is she born again? Wow. Um, So in answering this question, which I do on a regular basis, and this is gonna sound like it's an out for me, but I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you yes, And I'm not going to tell you no. I'm going to tell you I don't know. Now, given that, let me get real specific with the scriptures. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 that those who practice sin cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Did you hear me? Galatians 5, 18 through 21. You can read it. Galatians 5, 18 to 21. Those who practice sin cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, meaning they would not be born again, okay? So what we have to do then is to define is sexual uh, misidentity, is sexual stretch, identity stretch, identity fascination, is this change, okay? Uh, did this person go through a physical change also? No, nope. so it's, that's where the pen comes in. They're just playing both sides and. And everything in between. So what happens is, we have to define then: is this person in their deception? Is this person in in a pattern of accepting something that they know is wrong? And listen, it doesn't matter what the issue is, whether that's alcohol, whether that's sexual identity, okay? Whether that is the suicide question that we've that we've tried to deal with. Every individual has to answer this question themselves. Do I believe that it is right or wrong, or is there a deception here? Because if I believe that it is wrong and I continue to do it, then you are not born again. However, there are some people who continue to act in a certain way who do not think that it is wrong, uh, and I don't mean out of rebellion, I mean out of deception. And I don't, I, I can't answer that question because as, as Paul, as Jesus said, the God of this world has blinded their minds to the truth. Okay, and I think Romans chapter one, Paul, and what happens in that setting is some people will continue to practice something that they do not believe is sinful because their minds have not been opened up to that. And I don't know what to do with that. Like I know some of you in the room, and somebody would say, "Well, it's it's clear. It's the law. And, and and if they if they're doing something that is considered sin, then they can't be born again." I don't I don't I don't necessarily believe that that if somebody is under deception and doesn't know the difference between right and wrong, I believe that's going to be up to God. So it's really difficult to answer that question. This whole suicide question too goes I think fits in with and the whole alcohol question. There are some who say if you drink alcohol, you can't be born again because the scriptures say that. Well, the scriptures are very clear on the difference on leaders in drinking alcohol, but not everyone else. Because when do you say someone is drunk? Is it point one, point two, point three, right? So, and the scriptures deal with drunkenness. Now, is it wise? Of course not. I don't. I don't socially drink and I have friends who preach who do, but I don't judge them for that because I'm not sure. And I think what we have to do as believers is to be honest enough to say God's grace is able to meet that person if they're living in deception, okay? Um, I hope that helps. I know I probably landed on both sides of it in some ways, but go to to Galatians chapter five, and they list Paul. Paul is the author of lists. He did a ton of lists, fruit of the spirit, gifts of the spirit. And in this text here in Galatians 5, 18 to 21, Paul lists the sins of the flesh, He lists, you can see them there. Anger. Listen, Paul said, if you practice anger, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. I'm not, I didn't say that. Paul said that. And then the sexual sins are listed in there too. So, and so is drunkenness. So in one sense, it's really clear. If somebody practices those sins that Paul lists, they cannot be born again. Okay, one more question. One more question. Do you love her? Um, how do you bring someone to God if they don't want to? Wow. Oh, thank you for answering. I'm so glad you asked this question. How do you bring someone to God if they don't want to come to Christ, right? Man, that. Uh, there is a there are ways and it, sometimes it would take time um, some of the things that we've said I think relate to that a healthy you you know that you are the only Jesus some people ever see I think that helps what I've learned is this and let's begin this answering this question with this statement there is nobody outside of the touch of the grace of God the farthest person in the room the furthest person listening to this Podcast is not outside of the touch of God. So first of all, we have to understand that. How do we do that? I think we have to be wise. I think we have to be, um, we have to walk in both truth and grace. Okay? Do Do you understand what I mean when I say that? That we have to walk in both truth and grace. In that relationship, maybe someone you're thinking of In that relationship, I want to to speak truth to them. I want to stand my ground with my morality and my values and my Christian message. But I also want to walk in grace. Paul said both truth and grace. Not just truth because there are some truth people who are just truth, truth, truth. Just tell them, turn or burn, get right or get left, right? (laughs) That's how... Some people bring the message. There are others who bring the message with truth and with grace. I believe that truth is what begins. Listen, truth is what begins to bring a crack in the foundation of unbelievers, but grace is what wins them. So you have to begin and you have to win. Okay, it's called apologetics. Do you know? What, have you heard of the term apologetics? Apologetics is the defense of the faith. Apologetics would be the defense of the faith. Listen, apologetics has two sides to it. Apologetics is the defense of the faith. I like to call that um, truth. But apologetics is also the definition of the faith. I like to call that grace. So when you do apologetics and you share your faith with another person, I believe it takes both truth and grace. The truth is the defending the the strength of defending your faith and not backing down. The definition of apologetics, the definition of the faith is the relationship and winning people. So it is beginning and winning. I think we begin with truth and we win with grace. Does that help? Practically, what does that look like? I think it looks like believers having relationships with unbelievers. Don't be confused with being yoked. You're not supposed to be yoked with unbelievers and all of that, right? That's not what I just said. That's a whole different thing, okay? But we should be in relationship with the loss so that we can defend the faith and define the faith. Defending it with truth, defining it with grace. Does that help? Okay, thank you so much. All you gotta do is check out the bottom of our of, of this site here and uh, of this podcast. It will tell you where to go to Uthology.com